Hey guys, thanks for listening and welcome to the currently untitled Bay FC fan podcast. And we're recording during the storms happening in the Bay Area right now. So please excuse any technical difficulties that may come up. But um, everything seems quiet for now. So that's good. Um, and related to the untitled part of it, we actually want to start with seeing if any of you guys like the ideas that we have, or uh, it's a call for call for some ideas um, from you guys. So um, also, I guess it'd be good for me to introduce myself. Um, I am Zach, also known as some cruise dude on many parts of the internet. And then this is Anna, also known as Miyoki FC on Twitter. Uh, yeah, and, find me. Yeah, I um yeah, we'll we'll go with the um we'll go with some name ideas that we had just as a icebreaker from us to you, the audience. Uh and then after that, we'll go through a running order and then we'll actually, you know, more of introduce ourselves. So what are some of the ideas that you had, Anna? Um, so the first one I thought of was bagels, which to me was a joke in essence, but you also kind of thought it was fun, um, like bagels, not the food. Yeah, hashtag ba- B-A-E um, yes. sort of goals. But... And then I had tried to figure out some sort of incorporation of the the colors of the team. So I know they're using a, a bay blue, a steel gray, a poppy red. Um and so I was thinking like bay and gray or just really trying to play on the colors. But mm-hmm. what about you? What ideas did you have? Well, mostly what I brought to the table was just the word Hella and wanting to incorporate Hella into it somehow. So Hella Bagels, Hella FC, Hella Soccer, Hella Woso, straight to Hella, just so that people can know from the jump um, where we're from and what we're about, kind of like how Bay FC uh, is just, it lets you know we're from the Bay Area. yeah, so if you guys have any ideas or liked anything that we said, I do think it would be really funny to somehow have almost a bagel as the mascot for this uh, podcast. Uh, I feel like that would probably be a first unless there's some bakery podcast out there, which I guess would not surprise me. But yeah, anything uh, anything else to add as far as the names go? Um, no, just a, a warning for the listeners. We are the stupid Americans that Lindsay Horan warned you about, so... <laughs> Take that what is we say true. with a grain of salt. Yeah, that is very true, unfortunately. But uh, you're going to have to stick with us anyway, because I don't think Lindsay is herself recording a podcast about Bay FC. But um, speaking of that, uh, we have a running order here. Uh, we don't know necessarily how much of it we're going to get through since this is the first episode and there is a lot to talk about. But Our plan is so far for uh, the introduction to ourselves and the podcast, letting you guys know what it is, and then going back in a time machine a little bit to give just an introduction to Bay Area women's soccer and soccer in general for for folks that, you know, might be new to the scene, and then finally getting into the news and signings because it's been a uh, hella busy week, as we'd like to say around here, and then providing some background on how easy or not easy it is to build an expansion team these days, our thoughts on the roster, uh, dive into coach Montoya and what he brings to this team. Look at the preseason schedule and roster and then a preseason roster invites, and then just some general club thoughts 
and leak thoughts depending on how much time we have and um yeah so going off of that i'd like to you know fully introduce myself as zach and some cruise dude i have been following the nwsl since just about the beginning most uh most in earnest since 2015 lead up to the uh, women's world cup that year that was in canada i was a western new york flash fan for a few years until they moved to North Carolina. Uh, I've long been a neutral NWSL fan uh, for these last several years. And also outside of that, I'm a big San Jose Earthquakes fan and Monterey Bay FC fan. And so you may you may recognize my voice from such podcasts as Quakes After 90. Um, so I appreciate any of you guys that are listening and are from that sphere of things. And also, um, hello to people that you know are hearing me for the first time and then uh yeah let's go to my co-host here yeah uh so i'm anna Nyoki fc sorry to everyone that has to endure my voice i have not done podcasts before um and i've been following the nwsl pretty much since the inaugural season um i you know have been to <laughs> sky blue games at your rip to that field thorns games in portland Angel City and San Diego games, but this is really the first time I live in market for a team. So I'm just unbelievably stoked. And then, you know, soccer has been a part of my life since I was a kid. Um, my dad kind of raised me as a Barcelona fan, which was pretty fun, <laughs> especially in the glory days on the men's side. The women's side is uh, fantastic always. Um, but yeah, so just in terms of like goal of the pod, we really want this to be um kind of a space for Bay FC and and the NWSL women's soccer in general um with a with a slant of course towards towards Bay Area soccer but what about you Zach what are you really hoping to to do with this pod yeah I, I think that really sums it up we don't want the we don't want to feel like we can only talk about Bay FC uh, it's going to be the primary focus obviously but we want to be able to look at soccer locally through the lens of Bay FC because there are other women's soccer teams there are other soccer teams in general in this area um, and we also want to be able to look at the league from the Bay FC perspective because with this being a single table league that means those matches that are happening out in New Jersey for Gotham or down in Texas for Houston those still impact us and so league-wide storylines will have an impact on our team and so we want to be able to um, keep you up to date on those things so that you're not out of the loop um, but the focus will definitely be on Bay FC at its core and I mean building on that not just league I think international as well um, mm -hmm. we're going to dive into the news um, later into the podcast uh, surrounding the team but there's been so many transfer moves this not this just this week but this off season for mm -hmm. multiple clubs across the league and i think um there's a lot of implications behind that so mm -hmm. we're we're going to want to remain global even with a bay area focus yeah and then also since our team has national team players on it um maybe not us national team players currently which that's also a discussion about maybe we should as far as maybe the players we already have should be on that national team but anyway um getting too far ahead of myself there but another thing that i want to mention is that um you know we have some potential 
guests or co-hosts that we might want to bring into the fold. So this isn't necessarily the final roster. I think it is the core roster, though. Uh, and yeah, we're looking to collaborate with folks that are fans of other teams, just bringing their insights into the league and into how their teams are going. And um, also, while we will talk about, again, like we're wanting to keep it global, we'll talk about, you know, men's soccer um, in the context of the quakes at times during some of these like introduction episodes, we don't want to, you know, focus or have like comparisons because are uh, too many comparisons because for one, not everyone that's following Bay FC, you know, cares or follows Quakes or MLS. And then also, you know, Bay FC and women's soccer have earned their own place. And there are things that just don't really have a one-to-one matchup between the men's game and the women's game. So we'll use it as a way to kind of bridge the gap for new fans for a little bit here and there, but um, you don't have to worry. The The focus here, of course, is going to be Woso and Bay FC. I think we should really just kick it off with an intro on Bay Area women's soccer, the history um, of soccer in the area. I think, you know, anyone that follows the league or the U.S. women's national team knows how much talent comes out of the Bay Area. But Mm -hmm. do you want to maybe dive into that a little bit? Yeah. And first, um, and also I wish I remember to say this on, on the top, but we were like positively, positively, I want to be clear, overwhelmed by the amount of input that we got across twitter and reddit um as far as questions and prompts and whatever else so um want to say thank you in general to you guys and also if you don't hear like your question mentioned this first episode it's because we don't have enough time but we we have a google doc full of several pages that um will be will be coming through in future episodes and um yeah we're looking forward to that but specifically i wanted to shout out acid 08 on Bay FC subreddit who inspired this history section and so to start things off there yeah there's been a lot of history when it comes to women's soccer in this bay area and the roots and foundations are at the college level the ncaa level so stanford and santa clara and cal have all had really strong programs though sadly for um a lot of people that i know that are cal fans and cal alum their team has fallen off in recent years but um, Stanford and Santa Clara are regularly making it to the NCAA tournaments, regularly making it to finals and winning championships. And so many pros and especially U.S. women's national team players have come from those universities. Yeah, I mean, the founding four, are, I think, are the perfect example. Bay FC's founders, um, Brandy, Leslie, Danielle, and Allie, all are Santa Clara alum. And then, you know, you have major U.S. women's national team players, um, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, Kelly O'Hara, and then even in the new guard, right? Like Naomi Gurma. Alyssa Thompson was going to go to Stanford before she (laughs) decided not to go to college and go pro. Um, You just have so many notable names and Bay FC's own roster as well, like drafted. um, Doms. Maya Doms, Alex Loera from Santa Clara was the first player signed to the team. Mm -hmm. There's just a very rich talent pool coming out of this area. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And not only for players now that I think about, but also coaches, like uh, we'll get into it later, but um, Bay FC's coach, Albertine Montoya, he, um, he coached um, briefly at um, Stanford as well as I think Santa Clara as a uh, assistant. And so um there's elite coaches that also either stay in the area like jerry over at santa clara or that come through the area as assistants and so that's something that 
Um, this team definitely is wanting to tap into whether through their drafting or through their hires. And yeah, so we just wanted to give a bit of a background to that. And the, the first bit of professional background in history is that the, uh, the first pro women's team in this area was the Bay Area Cyber Rays, which then were a year later renamed to the San Jose Cyber Rays. They kicked off in WUSA in 2001, and they were actually the league's inaugural champions in 2001. Uh, I think they were led most notably as far as star players in Brandy Chastain, San Jose's own, and also a fun coincidence for San Jose soccer fans that are fans of men's and women's teams was that the Quakes also won their first MLS championship in that season. Uh, but sadly, things wouldn't last long for the Cyber Rays or for WUSA as that league would fold after the 2003 season and the Cyber Rays went with it. Yeah, I mean, there's just such rich history here for women's soccer, even if it's been in and out on the pro side. Um, I think the fact that the Cyber Rays won that that inaugural championship to me i'm going to take it as an omen for what can maybe come for bay fc mm-hmm. yeah well to continue on that theme spoiler alert um the second pro woso uh, league in the u.s was the wps and it was brought together in 2009 or that's when it kicked off and another team fc gold pride joined that year they played their first season at Um, Santa Clara University at Buckshaw Stadium, which is also where the Earthquakes um, team moved, or that's actually where they played when the team was um, um, brought back into the league because they were moved in 2005. But um, yeah, FC Gold Pride, they joined as a last minute expansion. Well, technically not expansion because all the teams were new. They were a last minute founding team. They were originally supposed to be an expansion in 2010, but another team fell through. So the owners were like, yeah, why don't we just, you know, try and get a team together as quickly as possible. So they brought in current Bay FC coach Albertine Montoya into his first professional coaching job. And the team struggled with a, with the first season, they finished seventh out of seven teams, but that was in large part because Montoya wanted to play a certain attacking style of soccer, but he was given a roster that, uh, did not really fit those needs. And so then when it came to the 2010 season, they were able to retool a lot. They only ended up bringing back, I think it was eight players from the first season. And that 2010 season has been seen as arguably one of the best in women's soccer in the world. Uh, thankfully for the team, Marta fell into their laps. And uh, though sadly, her um, her salary of, I think it was a half a million dollars, uh, was the thing that guaranteed them success as far as winning the regular season and the postseason, but then also uh, was a bit too much for the team to afford. And so they ended up folding just about a month or so after they won a championship out at Pioneer Stadium at CSU East Bay. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about the WPS, just in the context of what went down with that league, what FC Gold Pride was. I mean, you talk about a team that was stacked, right? Like you have Nicole Barnhart in goal. You have Kelly O'Hara. You have Marta. You have Sink. Um, Allie Riley, Allie, rookie like, of the year. Shannon Box, um, Camille Abile. You have top international talent. It's just pretty, pretty incredible that 
that this team existed and was here and then it was gone like that yeah um, and i think the the wps and in, in general has a really fascinating history which maybe we can get into another time um, yeah I highly encourage anyone listening if you're not familiar with the wps and the history of the wps and then particularly magic jack and everything that, oh, that yeah. went down there um i think it will provide a lot of context for how the nwsl was eventually set up and mm-hmm. when maybe it failed when it was first set up and mm-hmm. kind of what the league and the owners have learned or been pushed out because they perpetuated the same issues mm-hmm. yeah um yeah leading into nwsl both of these leagues if you did your math of the um, wusa and wps lasted for three seasons each so something going into nwsl that they were like okay first of all can they even reach that three season mark Mm -hmm. and then secondly can they surpass it and how long can they surpass it can they actually survive can they keep going so nwsl it kicked off in 2013 and um, wps had folded after the 2011 season and so this was also uniquely the last two leagues the first pro woso league that did not feature a team in california at all uh, there wasn't a Bay Area team. There wasn't an LA team. There wasn't a San Diego team. There was no one from California. And that said, the earliest interest in an NWSL team in California, I think, started the next year. I know there are some reports, I think, out of LA, uh, out of San Jose. It started as early as 2014, but nothing really came together that was anything meaningful until 2021 when the current Bay FC ownership starts to kind of brew and uh, be brought together and kind of all the pieces started coming together and you know that's uh that's the foundation for where where we are now i i think about those first three seasons of the nwsl a lot particularly you know you talk about you started watching the league in earnest leading up to that that 2015 world cup and mm-hmm. i know i think in the broader conversation 2019 is viewed as a really really pivotal turning point for the league but I think for me 2015 is where I saw that initial shift Mm -hmm. um I was in New York for that uh ticker tape parade um you know I was a I I was a high I guess I just graduated high school when they won the world cup Mm. um and it kind of felt like the league was unstoppable but then I remember going back to your field after watching the win world cup and you're like what the 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 drastic difference in in the resources available to these players for these professional athletes that you know are training at you know I would argue fields worse than my high school soccer fields yeah um, but that that twenty fifth that summer of twenty fifteen you know the NWSL has had a lot of ups and downs and I think as a fan sometimes I'm like mm-hmm. oof um but that that summer of 2015 i think i was like this is this is the one this is the one that's gonna work Mm. that's gonna stay yeah and um it has yeah and it's 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 not been without its trials and tribulations which we won't get into here and now on this episode but um yeah it the impressive thing is that the league was able to juggle its teams as far as relocations and 
expansions and it just kept momentum going to the point where Bay FC is entering into the league with the league looking the best it ever has. And it looks like it's not going to stop as far as that momentum goes. But for kind of the current state of affairs when it comes to professional soccer in this area, Bay FC is currently the only other um, first division. So, you know, there's a variety of leagues in the American system. Uh, but when it comes to the the top of the top, uh, it's just Bay FC and the San Jose Earthquakes are both first division teams. There's some lower league ones uh, that are still professional on the men's side across Northern California and across the whole United States. And then there's dozens of men's and women's amateur soccer teams in various national leagues um, that are based in Northern California and in the Bay Area. And so the thing to look ahead on and potentially that we'll be talking about here and there is more whispers um, turn into you know, more relevant news. But there are plans in the coming years for the currently amateur Oakland Soul, which are part of the Oakland Roots organization, to become a, a professional team and a new top flight women's soccer league, uh, the USL Super League, that will be starting this summer. The Oakland team will not be starting this summer. Um, but the Oakland team getting off from amateur to professional, it depends on a, a stadium, a modular stadium being built uh, near the Oakland Coliseum, among some other factors. And I, you know, I'm excited for it. I think the more avenues for professional women's soccer in the U.S., the better. I think it'll allow for growth. It'll allow for access for people to watch and kind of see that the talent that exists. Um, you know, obviously, Super League hasn't started yet. We don't know what it's actually going to look like, but I think some of the folks involved in that are are some really good people who are clearly invested. So I'm excited to see to see how that plays out. But, you know, I think now it's really time to dive into Bay FC, mm -hmm. the backgrounds on, on this team. And, and I think it's impossible to talk about the roster and what's happened this week and, and leading up to this week without really diving into what it takes to build an expansion team. Mm -hmm. And we've seen several iterations of what building an expansion team looks like in this league and that it's changed, right? Um, national team players used to be allocated across the league that is yeah just used to anymore. used to be something where you know there was a lot of talk in this off season amongst bay fc fans of like okay are we going to be able to secure like a marketable u.s women's national team player to be able to um have um for us and even just you know a relative few years ago that wasn't an issue you just would get one not only would you get them from the u.s national team you'd get them also from the canadian national team and even in the first um like two seasons i forget um you'd also get a mexican women's national team player potentially so that was uh, a very specific strategy to try and bolster the league when it was growing um but it's something parity for sure yeah definitely you know because if it was first starting that was that seemed to be a really clear intention from, mm -hmm. from league leadership. Yeah, because if all the players ended up on one team, if you could imagine cough, cough, Gotham FC this season, uh, all the women's national team, U.S. women's national team players on one team, uh, there could be a potential lack of parity or looking at a super team. Um, but yeah, that wasn't the case for a while. But, you know, uh, as 
I know you'll get into here, that's just not the case anymore. It's not as easy as it used to be to build an expansion team. Yeah, I mean, even think about that, like free agency didn't exist until recently. Mm-hmm. Transfer fees were not a thing. You know, these are all really positive changes, I would argue. I think the fact that we can play from the allocation of these players, we have a free agency. There is money being exchanged between teams for players, I think just speaks to the value that's been added. Um, but I think it also means it's genuinely harder to build a team from the ground mm-hmm. up. Yes, the salary cap has increased. I still don't think folks who are just looking at it from like a where are players moving level understand how much money goes into building a team from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Even Utah, which I would say is coming from a different uh, perspective because they technically already existed. Some of that is already in place, but they still have no players, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Both of these teams are working with the same amount of money that every other team has, except they have zero players, and most of those teams have a full roster. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe starting, like, they'll let some players go, trade some players, 15. But the money doesn't move the same. Um, so so you have to be savvy with, with getting players. You have to, you know, I think we saw with the expansion draft, both the teams were pretty intentional about talking to players beforehand to kind of figure out who would want to go where. Um, But, you know, the expansion draft debate is its own. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of the expansion draft. No. I also recognize that with the current financial limitations, I don't know what another option is. Folks say just like buy the players outright, but I already know for a fact that players were pricing teams out. Mm -hmm. um, And like if you want an expansion team it can't be at the cost of 50 percent of their salary cap yeah and actually on the money part um from my understanding uh because i know you mentioned that the teams start out with the same you know relatively in the same ballpark but there was a there was a bit of a limitation on bay fc that they were a new team and so why we saw initially live trades for um what's called allocation money which we can get into in a future mm-hmm. episode essentially just means like kind of league money that doesn't count against the salary cap from my understanding um but it was something where these other teams have existed you know even if it's just like for example angel city or san diego they've already had a couple seasons or more in the league and then for other teams they've been there for years and years and years bay fc was in year one and they did not have again as far as i know any um you know any bit of money that could be added on to be an advantage and that's also something people have talked about of like you know instead of an expansion draft why not you know let these expansion teams have a bit more of league um, funding or money just as far as being able to recruit players and then maybe tie that in with some ability for players to have some agency and be like you know what i do want to go to one of these expansion teams so let me have the ability to you know have a little more flexibility with my contract but um yeah it's it's uh it's interesting how these teams get built and i know that you know we talked we were talking about it before the podcast as far as how even the certain players that um, some people might question why we're recruiting them that's also part of this expansion process exactly um I think you know we could talk about finances for ages, but I don't want to. Let's let's not. Let's not. 
But I think the moves BFC has been making speak to the fact, one, that they're not just trying to sign ballers, right? They're signing ballers, in my <laughs> humble opinion. Um, and that's fantastic. You need a really solid team, but you also need leaders and culture setters. Um, so maybe they're signing players who seem less traditional at, for like an on-the-field product for a new team. But setting that the values from day one is how you set a team up for success. I don't care mm-hmm. how good every single player is if there's no cohesion in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think that's super, super vital. For me, that big signing comes with Arsenal's Jen Beatty, mm-hmm. uh, which I think we're going to you know talk about more. Now we're mm-hmm. into this roster transfer news conversation. Yeah, and um, relating to that and uh, kind of tying a bow on this and building a bridge uh, into the next section, our, our mascot, we are the Fighting Bridges, um, is that our coach, Montoya, he already has experience in an American league trying to build a team from absolutely nothing. Um, and it was a lesson in that front office for FC Gold Pride of like, oh, maybe we, you know, missed out by not actually getting this coach the players that he wants. And then they went from last place to then the next season building a team that had players that worked for a system and they won the whole league. And one thing that was important in, in an article I'll mention later that I read, uh, there was talk about how, you know, you had your Marta, you had your rookies uh before they were you know the greats that we know them as and like ali riley who's currently captain of angel city kelly o'hara who's a u.s women's national team legend shannon box another u.s women's national team legend um there also were players that didn't have much to their name that were hugely important to the team and so i'm confident that you know all these players whether they're like the third string goalkeeper or you know the star striker they're important and vital to creating that culture and it's something that thankfully Montoya, as well as Lucy Rushton, the general manager who helped build out on the men's side, Atlanta United in their uh, initial seasons, there's a lot of experience already there in building a team from the ground floor. And the only way that you can do that is by bringing in players. So we're finally into probably what is the main event for a lot of fans, uh, which is the news and transfers uh, section of this podcast. And so I tried to do a timeline because there were so many signings last week. I think we signed one, two, three, four, five players in the span of about seven days. Um, It was a lot. Yeah. It was, I don't know about you. I felt like I lived a lifetime in those seven days. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was something where, and I I talked with you about this and with some other people, um, kind of going back to why we're doing this podcast, I, I kind of reached a breaking point. I was like, okay, I can't have no one talking about this right now from the Bay FC fandom and just putting something out there about just how crazy this all was and how excited we are. Um, there was just so much going on and the names that were coming in were really exciting. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think what kicked it all off was that initial you know, we had heard rumors about Dana from moving from Man City to the Bay. And then, of course, the hilarious Man City breaks the news before Bay of C breaks the news. Um, and so that's officially announced. 
last Friday, January 26th. Um, and those rumors went back to January 9th. So, yeah, we had been hearing whispers, but then it went quiet and then it just suddenly kind of happened. Yeah. Um, and, and her deal's great, right? So she signed on for three years. There's an option for a fourth. And it was reported that with that fourth option, she would be the um, highest paid international player in the NWSL. Castellanos was announced. And then Montoya essentially goes right on to doing press where he says, you know, we've got some big signings coming up. And I think that lit a spark in a lot of people. I saw mm-hmm. some media kind of blow up after that. Um, yeah and also it's funny because it felt like a bit of a test and thankfully we can say in retrospect that Bay FC passed where there's a lot of people that were feeling um like that they were hyping up something that they wouldn't be able to to reach um you know who are these big signings who could they possibly get that could actually merit that um which I do think also led to some unfair reception and some other um some other announcements that were a bit more low key um but they were still important ones and you know we'll get into them here but before that um also that same day on friday the 26th the concacaf w gold cup preliminary rosters were announced and a bit surprisingly among the 52 players announced for the u.s for the preliminary roster which will be cut down um was our number two draft pick overall was 18 year old uh, center back but she prefers left back savvy king and um for the u.s and then our uh, winger scarlet camberos she was called up uh, as part of the 60 woman roster for mexico and so those rosters will be cut down and they're actually going to be announced sometime this week so it'll be interesting to see who all is involved and that tournament uh, will be taking place in february so a bit in the lead up to the NWSL regular season and then yeah we did not see a couple names that we feel maybe could have gotten that U.S. respect and to be fair the U.S. they're in between managers um we're waiting for Emma Hayes to be done over at Chelsea and come over to the U.S. and um though we still feel like players like Diadasco and uh Loera that those are a couple players that maybe the U.S. could use and um Earlier, we were talking about how there are some fans that were wanting to see a U.S. player brought in um, and the U.S. international, and that didn't happen. You know, there are a lot of whispers about Tierna Davidson, and then she ended up going to Gotham. And I think maybe the perspective from our team and from our players is going to be like, you know what, if we can't recruit a U.S. women's national team player, maybe we'll just make our own, whether that's Savvy King, um, Loera, um Didasco or maybe someone that we haven't mentioned or that we're not even thinking of. That's an exciting thing about an expansion team. It offers a new spot for these players to elevate themselves and show themselves off. And I think that's where Montoya as a coach has the ability to really shine. And and we'll talk about this more um, a little bit later in the pod, but his experience developing players Mm -hmm. is going to play a really key role in this team and particularly you know with these college draft picks Mm -hmm. but so we have this really exciting friday the weekend is calm (laughs) and then you know hit the ground running again bfc drops another teaser 
Um, and this time, Monday, January 29th, it's announced that um, goalkeeper Melissa Lather was signed to a one-year deal. And she was an NRI that had already been listed on the preseason uh, roster. Yeah, non-roster invitee. Yes. Um, and she has, you know, some really interesting experience. She's played in Europe and Iceland. She was a backup keeper for Utah during their 2019-2022 run. Um, She'd been a backup keeper at Chicago and San Diego. You know, she also does U.S. uh, national beach soccer, which is really fun. Um, But it's good. We only had one keeper signed to the roster until Melissa was signed. So now we have at least two keepers. I think, you know, that's Mm -hmm. good. Roster still being built. But it doesn't stop there. The next day, mm-hmm. they drop again. Another teaser. This time, the Bay signs um, Princess Marfo, a Ghanaian forward who was playing at the Danish club. Um, she's really young. I think she's really exciting. I can't say I'm the most familiar with her game, but I have watched the Danish league from time to time. And mm. I, you know, getting in this young player who hasn't been capped with the Ghana national team yet is actually really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I know big names, lots of experience can be good. Uh, but on the flip side of that, you want players that you can build and develop into the style you want as well. Yeah, and you want players that will be able to, if you can hopefully keep them, be there for a longer amount of time. It's great to bring in experienced players or players that are in their prime, but that also means that they've already spent some years somewhere else and they don't have more years to give yeah so in bringing in a princess from uh, fc nordsjuland i had to throw that in there because my partner is danish and i am looking forward to hearing either how well i pronounced it or how not well i pronounced it we'll find out tune in next week but um yeah it was something where i was a little disappointed to see some of the um some of the reception as far as being like this is it this is who we're bringing in and i was like I am really excited. This is seems like a really smart signing. Um, but the moment that everyone was waiting for would come uh, a couple days later. Yeah. So I have to say this one, I think as soon as it was announced that Asisat Nuchwala was going to leave Barcelona, I was like, she's coming to the Bay. I don't care what anyone else says. It's, <laughs> it's nothing else. Um, and lo and behold, that was true. Bay FC dropped their first overnight tease. <laughs> that was fun. Um, on Wednesday and then Thursday, February 1st, it was officially announced that Oshuala had signed um, and was transferring from Barcelona to Bay FC after five years with the club. I think, you know, as, as a Barcelona, Barcelona fan, I think it's really hard to... Um, summarize the impact she had on the club. Mm. She scored an unbelievable amount of goals. Yeah, of many games as well. I think she's the fifth highest scoring player, um, in the team's history. And you know, like truly an Agba baller. You 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 can't ask for a. I think a better link up with with mm. David Castellanos who is going to help create a lot of space for Asisat to get in the box and and drive home those goals um and you had made a really you know we've been talking about this I think something interesting you had highlighted how 
it wasn't until the day before the news was mm-hmm. announced that she was linked to any single club. Yeah, it was a for those of you who potentially were following like on the Bay FC subreddit or on Twitter or wherever you get your news. There was a little bit of a transfer saga, just in the sense of, um, I think it was reported in Spain on the twenty seventh. For that was the first time that someone said like, "Oh, Aswala's um, leaving for the U.S." and that was huge. But then we're like, okay. I wonder when they'll start naming like which teams are probably interested. And then the next report would, you know, add some um, validation and some confirmation, but then they just also would say an NWSL club. And there were like two or three of those from like well-respected journalists um, out in Europe that cover women's soccer transfers or covered Barcelona's team. But it wasn't until a outlet from Nigeria, the, like the afternoon before the, um, yeah, the day before the announcement ended up saying she's going to Bay FC. And it's funny because kind of like by that time, everyone was like, okay, it's got to be Bay. Um, and it was like, I think an hour or two later that Bay put out their own teaser and everyone's, you know, like, oh, it's happening. Um, yeah. And so all that to say, it seems like uh, the way that this transfer season has gone, it seems like Bay really likes to keep things on lock as far as they're not going to be teasing through the press who they're bringing in that's usually going to come from the other side of things which i think that's great for players if that's what they want um if you know if there was a situation where a player did want it to be known i'm sure that you know that would be put out there but as far as bay goes it looks like if you want something hidden you know they're gonna they're gonna keep it on lock and so that's can be a little frustrating as a fan because like oh i want to hear everything but it is respectful to the players especially if like a deal falls through um for them to be able to have that um you know anonymous nature to it yeah i mean i I completely agree i think it speaks well to the coaching and technical staff like their professionalism around it they're clearly not leaking it to the press Mm -hmm. um and i think in that vein you know that i think leads us to our next signing which i have to say i am shocked One, I literally never saw this signing coming in a million years. And then two, I'm shocked it did not leak because Mm. Arsenal just has a history. Well, they have a history of leaking their signings, right? Um, (laughs) By accident. I think Emily Fox most recently spotted. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, The Bigfoot (laughs) photo-esque thing where she was in the background of a training photo. Yeah. But the, you know, the day after... um, Oshwala signed BFC again teases another player this time very literally invoking Arsenal's name <laughs> and it sends the internet into a frenzy that I personally found hilarious um, I was having a field day with some of these reactions and I think we'll get into that mm-hmm. um, but no one knew who it was um Even when it became clear that it was going to be an Arsenal player, mm-hmm. no one was able to really get a name out. I think I remember seeing, I would say up until, it wasn't until maybe a couple hours or like eight hours before Bay announced. So it would, would have been like middle of the day in the UK at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no one had even guessed Gen BD 
um, as the person being signed. And at that point, I think they had guessed in jest. Um, because I think a lot of people thought, you know, Jen's been at Arsenal for so long. Mm. If she's gonna leave, she'll just retire. Not that I think Jen necessarily is in a situation where she needs to retire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she also doesn't think that. <laughs> and that the club doesn't, and at, AFC doesn't think that. Yes, she would retire at Arsenal. Um and when it did finally get announced, both on Arsenal's end and AFC's end, the reaction I think was you know I thought the Oshawala reaction was like huge and it was like I think interactions with Bay FC social media are the highest mm-hmm. they've been it was crazy in. yeah um it's really awesome to see to see um the support around Oshawala mm-hmm. from across the globe or obviously from Nigerians um mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna ride for her which is really really cool um but you know the just like the outpouring of like fan Arsenal fans were devastated to lose Jen, um, and to me, this is like the point I really want to talk about with what it takes to build an expansion team. Mm. That's what you need in leadership and culture, and I think this is exactly why Jen Beauty was signed. Mm-hmm. Um, she has experience you know she started her career up top she was an attacking <laughs> player um and then of course i feel like every center back ever was converted <laughs> into a center back mm-hmm. <laughs> i know very few people that actually ever started the center backs mm-hmm. um, and then has this really long career um as a scottish international and professionally on the club side across mm-hmm. different leagues and teams as a center back and i think just like the wealth of experience on the international and club side that she brings. Um, and then, as you mentioned, with a really young player like Savvy King, who is kind of, you know, heir, heir apparent to the U.S. Women's National Team backline. Mm-hmm. Um, she's going to learn a lot from a player like Jen. And it allows Savvy to slot into her preferred position of left back now that we have another center back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jen's a fun signing for a lot of reasons. I think one, she is equipped to handle the like physicality of the NWSL Mm. in a way a lot of players that I think come from the WSL aren't necessarily equipped for. That's not Mm. to say I think one is better than the other. The best league debate. (laughs) Um, but they are fundamentally different leagues. Yeah. Um and Jen is just like tall. Tall, physical. I think um, that'll be really fun to see. And I just think like her leadership for the club, um, and I think that's echoed in the sentiments expressed by pretty much every single Arsenal player and Arsenal fan. Mm-hmm. Um, the level of essentially grief displayed at her leaving the club, I think speaks to her character on and off the pitch. And mm-hmm. then um how excited she was about coming to bay made me feel good Just, yeah uh, yeah and uh, that seems like a recurring theme throughout the different transfers um this season and then specifically this week you it, you know tinfoil hat people will be like oh you know they're being coached to say this or that but every every one of these players 
you know, is talking about, you know, they're interested in building a team from the ground up. They're specifically interested in what Montoya has as far as what his vision is for soccer and for how it should be played. And so it's been, yeah, really, um, really encouraging to see that, you know, it's not just a, um, it's not just a soundbite. It's not something that Montoya is just making up. And we'll get into that later about what his history is in, in coaching and what we actually should potentially be expecting. And yeah, it, it's something where, you know, you can take take it from the players themselves. They aren't they aren't lying. Um and so it's exciting to potentially see what's gonna happen. And also, um, just before we moved on, I wanted to mention I think it was uh Sixtress on Reddit was was in general just wanting to ask about the um the social media outpouring, which we did talk about the English side, but it was kind of interesting seeing on the American side that um and specifically the Bay side that there was a bit of um almost a bit of like quizzical reaction or like I can't believe they paid for this player. Uh, and I think that you brought up a lot of good points as far as why they did. And I think especially for this system, having a lot of center backs and then potentially players might be moving around. Um, it's good to have that foundation in the back. And BD, you know, is not someone that is done there. She's maybe near the end of her career, but she's not done yet. And so I think this will be a signing that for all the reasons that you listed may end up looking a lot more valuable by the end of the season than people may have expected. I also think it like speaks to in the same way that I think a lot of people outside of the U.S. who maybe aren't as familiar with the NWSL can, will write the league off because they view it the way they view the MLS, mm-hmm. which I love my chaos league. MLS is very fun, <laughs> but the MLS and NWSL are not one-to-one in terms of like where they are. Exactly in their respective worlds of professional mm-hmm. soccer. Um, I think it's similar, like this is like a largely um, American focused soccer watchers who maybe aren't as familiar with BD's uh, experience and mm-hmm. um, history in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, she's pretty much like won everything she ever <laughs> played in. I think that that kind of, you can't, you can't coach that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of experience so yeah so and say, i say this oh. you I, I know you're i say this as someone who actively cannot stand arsenal <laughs> i'm so sorry jen b i hate arsenal <laughs> yeah no i i'm a so our disclosure is that you are a liverpool fan yes and um i'm an arsenal or jesus christ i am a spurs fan so i hate arsenal uh as a tottenham hotspurs Hotspur supporter. Uh, shout out to Dom, who um, might be on this podcast in the near future, who's an Arsenal fan, and we chirp each other about that. But it, there was something to me. I'm like, oh, it's great that she's moving on from that team to um, one that I can actually enjoy her uh, being part of. But um, speaking of being part of rosters, we just wanted to kind of give a little bit of a brief run through of the roster. I don't think we're necessarily going to dive too deep into like looking at the players themselves this week. But I just want to read it off just so that we kind of have an idea of who all is here right now. So at goalkeeper, we have two signings so far, and you know we probably expect a third, but we have Caitlin Rowland, who we got through the expansion draft, and Melissa Lauder, who 
we mentioned we just signed this past week and she was a non-roster invitee to the preseason and then we drafted savvy king uh who's a left back center back Alyssa Melanson from the expansion draft she's a left back that we specifically targeted as I think the first pick in that draft um from the rain uh, Emily Menguez who's a center back that we got from Portland in a trade uh Kiki Pickett who's an outside back playing on the left or right side uh free agent Kayla Sharples another free agent who's a center back Leveni Vaca who we drafted near the end and uh I know that when we uh, saw her reaction at the at the college draft, uh, her crying and feeling emotional as a uh, player that was taken for one near the end of the draft, and then also someone that grew up um, in San Mateo, uh, that was really cool to see. So I'm really going to be happy whenever she first hits the pitch for us. Uh, and then to round it off, we have Didasco, uh, Jen Beatty at... Um, right back, left back, and then center back specifically. And um, BD is one of our currently four out of five international players. And we'll get into what that means in a little bit. Midfield, we have Alex Loera, who is our first signing. We got in a trade with Kansas City. Uh, Joel Anderson, we also got in a trade. She's an attacking midfielder. Loera is more of a defensive midfielder, though can put in some sweet passes. Uh, Maya Doms, we got in the draft. Dorian Bailey, we traded for. Uh, Jamie Shepard, Dana Castellanos rounds it off as another big, high-profile international signing. And Castellanos specifically, uh, we're thinking is going to be starting uh, in the middle of the in the middle of the field, the middle of the pitch as uh, a number ten, as they say. So, like your player that is kind of controlling all the attacking, um, pulling the strings as that center attacking midfield option or a cam, as uh, folks like to say. And then up top at forward, we have Scarlett Camberos, who we got in a trade with Angel City, Tess Bodie, center forward, Carolyn Conti, we drafted, uh, Rachel Hill, got in the expansion draft, Princess Marfo, international transfer, and then Aswala, who we got also as an international transfer. And that's it. We have 22 players. So we officially reached that minimum, which just even a couple weeks ago, people were like, will we have enough players to start the season? Um, but we got there. And I think it's important to know, right? Like we're at this minimum, but there's still some pretty arguably high profile non-roster invitees at preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tegan McGrady is a big one. Mm-hmm that folks who follow the league would, would, would be familiar with. Um, yeah. When you touched on that, that international slot. Um, so each team's capped at five mm-hmm. um, for, and it's, it's specifically for players that don't have us residency, right? So some players will eventually earn a green card or they'll get citizenship. And then even if they play for, you know, a different national team, they do not qualify um, as an international player. They'll be considered a domestic player. Yeah, and so this was something we alluded to earlier, but I saw um, a critique of the Princess Marfo signing was that we were using one of our limited international spots, and then this could also be looked at with BD as well, on a player that's not currently playing for an international um, side. And, well, for one specific to Princess, I think she will get capped by Ghana this year. Uh, it was reported that their national team coach watches her matches 
um, and went to Denmark to watch her matches. So I'm sure that's going to be happening. And just coming to NWSL is probably going to put her over the top as far as uh, interest from her national team coach. Then also, as we know, and we kind of talked about earlier, international caps or call-ups don't always spell out who is or is not a good player. Uh, the international scene for every country is notorious for at one time or another having players that are either ones you think are snubbed that should be called up and then the ones that are taking their spots are players that you think might be past it or just are not right fit for the squad so just because a player is or is not called up for a national team that doesn't mean whether they're good or bad it's not it's not black and white at all yeah and i think to that idea national teams need specific have to fill specific holes right and they play very differently so sometimes someone can be like a very top player in their position Mm -hmm. and they don't fit the system that the national is currently playing for better for worse right like Mm -hmm. so i can argue maybe the national team needs to adjust their system to include that player Mm -hmm. but we know that doesn't always happen um and, you know, you you mentioned this. It can be really nice to not lose talented players to national team matches. Um, yeah, because, you know, they can get injuries. Thankfully, NWSL has worked it out of their schedules to not really have too much um, interference between playing league matches while uh, international matches are happening. They've worked a lot on that, which is good for us. Um, but, yeah, that doesn't mean that your team isn't playing, but then your player you know gets injured like takes a bad tackle or something like that or just freak incident it's just what comes with the territory as far as you potentially do get those benefits of having a higher profile player on that national team but it comes with risks so i think it is something where you know it's good to have players of all sorts if we had only national team players on our team um that wouldn't be a good thing like we'd have players that you know are not getting as many breaks as some of the others um yeah so it's it's not black and white. Um, and I think that, yeah, that was a point that I wanted to make after seeing some some of those takes. And relatedly, something I was also thinking about is um, it'll be interesting to see with some of the players coming from overseas, how we manage their game time, because some of these players, um, like Oswala, she has been playing for like almost dating back to like the beginning of the 2022 season, essentially. Because she went through the 22-23 season with Barca, and then there was the Women's World Cup in the middle of the 23 season, or sorry, in the middle of the 23 summer, and then she was back, although it was a bit playing less, more off the bench, she still was playing uh, when it came to the current 23-24 European season, and then now she's coming to MLS, or sorry, MLS, into NWSL, where she's going to be starting a season again. So it'll be interesting to me to see if there's any game management that comes with some of these transfers or also from, you know, college players that potentially are going to be used to playing with um, more limited minutes in the current uh, NCAA rules. I think they're changing for this upcoming season, but uh, you used to have, at the very least, unlimited subs. Like you could sub players in and out of games and like sub a player out and then bring them back in. And so that's not something that these players are going to have the benefit of in NWSL. They're going to have to play for as long as they're out there. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how there's potential game management and time management for these players. Um, I think, you know, thinking of of game management, player management, it's it's the perfect transition to talk about 
Albertine Montoya, the coach. Um, mm-hmm. There were a couple of people who who had questions about him. So Fastfingers on Reddit, <laughs> great name, um, you know, said they wanted a bit of a primer on Albertine and kind of what to expect from him. Uh, could Tronky on Twitter said, does the coach have a known style of play? Who's going to excel in that? And then one of your friends um, said on paper with the coaching staff, what should we anticipate for style of play? So I think kind of to to really understand Albertine, we kind of need to talk about his history, which we've talked about a little bit, but mm-hmm. I'm going to run through his managerial career. So after a short or playing pro for a couple of years, um, he joined the Cal Storm um, as a co-head coach in 1999, and he coached for them until 2006. He During that time, he was also an assistant trainer for the Cyber Rays and a, an assistant for Santa Clara. Um, in 2008, he was the USU-18 assistant. From 2008 to 2009, he was the Stanford assistant. From 2009 to 2010, we had that it, awesome gold pride team. 2011-2012, he's the USU-17 um, coach. And then he doesn't coach again until at a higher level until 2022 when he steps in as the interim coach for a few games for the Washington Spirit before they announced Mark Parsons. Um, during that time, Albertine has his own academy in the Bay Area, MVLA, mm-hmm. um, which has produced a lot of a lot of talent um in the youth scene and you know um he i think his experience with coaching in the development like at the the development age and at cal storm and and there's so much that when his hot when he was announced as the head coach there was just so much support and backing from players at all levels Mm -hmm. um players who had uh, been coached by him when he was the FC Bowl Pride coach, um, youth players. And I think, you know, we don't need to dive into this too much, but considering the track record of a lot of coaches um, that have previously worked in the NWSL, it's really refreshing to hear just like positive, positive, positive about a coach. And I think it speaks to his ability to to, to develop these young players that he has on this roster yeah um and to that point um yeah i think we can kind of start there uh i i did a lot of research yesterday Uh, my partner can speak to it because she ended up saying uh last night she's like i think we've talked like 90 percent of the day the things that you've said to me have been about like bay fc or about albertine montoya specifically so (laughs) i have a lot of stuff to go off of here um, to share with you guys, but I, I was I had to felt like I had to do a bit of digging to find more than just that, you know, what feels like a surface level. You know, he's a nice guy and he likes coach attacking soccer. And so I'm going to share some excerpts from articles and then also uh, quotes from players. And so the first thing I wanted to share was um, a former player of his, former pro, Darian Jenkins, uh, who he coached with the USU 17s in 2011 to 12, said that I feel like. She said, I actually feel that's where I developed most as a player. I never had a coach up to that point that looked at me holistically as a human being on the field and off the field. He looks at you as a whole person. He's also been a coach at every single level. 
NWSL has been missing these coaches that are overqualified for these positions and know how to develop people at every stage of their careers. And it's not just to come in and kind of put a bandage on what's already been done before. And as I'm thinking about this, should he make a run for the national team spot? He's a good person, a kind person, which we love to hear that. We need that in this sport. We need that in in the NWSL. And so, yeah, I think that kind of summarizes what you were talking about as far as um, being a coach that, you know, no one has anything to say bad things about. And part of it is because his coaching style doesn't rely on, you know, yelling at people or whatever else, as far as we can tell, or if it does, it's very much balanced with still seeing these people for uh, these players, for the human beings that they are. And sadly, yeah, that hasn't been enough of that at the youth level, at the college level, at the NWSL level. Um, Yeah. So I'm glad that in Albertine, we're having someone that, you know, knows how to coach and it hasn't gone out of style over these last 20 years. Yeah, I I think, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about, you know, he likes his attacking fullbacks, he wants to play possession-based football, um, like the Barcelona system, a lot of short, frequent passes. But but um, in your research, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was uh, Rachel Van Holbeck talking about um, playing with him and under him and and saying, I even remember getting some assists myself, like hitting long balls over the top. Van Holbeck, then still a center back, said, I think we played a very diverse style of soccer where we created from a lot of different areas. That's what made us so dangerous. It was hard to figure out where we were going to make that attack. And I think that's what, if implemented correctly, is going to really set this team apart, being able to play out from the back, mm-hmm. uh, not just playing this like transitional style of soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the pieces they've got are are pointing to that kind of play. Like these are players that are you're gonna have players equipped for this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, it feels like the thing that pretty much all of our recruits have in common is their ability to play on the ball well, have that technical ability, um, and something that else that Ben Holabeek said. Um, that kind of will give more of a context for like a broader amount of the roster was just that um, in the first year, they made a lot of little small errors that maybe just cost us that goal. Second year, we were more on the same page and just didn't quite make those little errors as much. And attacking wise, we were just on, I remember offensively and defensively it being complete team effort, our outside backs, Candace Wilson and Allie Riley had so many assists I think that was one of the things that was unique about that team where everyone was really for the cause. And so it sounds like Albertine is really able to, you know, from a attacking uh, and tactical perspective, he gets everyone as far as defense and, you know, in the quote that you read, center backs even involved and not just from, you know, uh, bashing in, you know, corner kicks or something like that, uh, which, you know, I'm very welcome to, you know, seeing BD potentially do that as she likes to do. Um, but they're also, allowed to show their own attacking flair and i know that i was listening to an interview i think just after the expansion draft where albertine said something to the effect of you know i i don't like defending uh he then acknowledged well i know my defenders like defending but i'd much rather be able to attack and control the ball and then that means the defense you know doesn't have to do too hard of work and he talked about he's like i love my (laughs) i think he said something to the fact that i love my outside backs to 
to overlap, underlap, you know, just be involved in the attack. And so it seems to me, and um, to compare it to something that I've been watching a lot of recently, uh, it reminds me a lot of, um, at least from descriptions, how in the Premier League, for those of you that watch it, uh, Tottenham Hotspur have been playing uh, under their manager, Ange Postacoglu, where they're not necessarily like the tiki-taka style of Barcelona, like was mentioned before, but they are someone that they'll hold the ball a bit, starting with their goalkeeper, and then distribute it to some very talented ball-playing center backs who then either can, you know, dink it out to the wings or they'll give it to the midfield who'll be able to, in a matter of like a few passes, suddenly they're on the attacking front foot and you might see their center back running up to the, to the box to, you know, make an attack happen. And so I'm really excited to see what all this actually comes out to. And I know this isn't maybe as specific as some people want, but I think it does give a clearer picture than uh, kind of the quotes that have been floating around lately. Yeah. I mean, I think building off of that, another like example, um, given this would align with the Tiki Taka Barca style. Um, on the women's side, the way Ben Holbeck was talking about these attacks starting with the back line, like building out the attack from the back, um, just makes me think of Mappy Leon at Barcelona. She is a center back, um, but she is so crucial to the um the attacking efforts on that team. She's one of the best chance creators I've I've ever seen. And, and she's a CB, right? Like mm-hmm. that's I think pretty pretty indicative. And and I'd love to see, you know, um what what that could look like applied applied here. Um, mm-hmm. so so I'm excited. I think I think if done well, done right, and I do think it's possible. I know there. I've seen so many people online say, "You're never going to be able to do it. You can't do it." Um, and I think that's wrong because it's been done in U.S. leagues before. So Zach lost power for a minute. So there was a, a weird cutoff for a second. That's that's what happened. Um, but the point I was making was just I've seen a lot of talk about. Oh, because it's the NWSL, it will not be possible to implement like a possession-based style of play. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm not sitting here being like, they're going to be Barcelona, because that's yeah. not the same thing, right? That's mm-hmm. a different conversation. Barcelona's the best team in the world. Um, very, very different conversation. Uh, but uh, I just, I think writing off different tactical approaches is naive i think wsl is a chaos league for a reason Um, yeah and um i i just say that you know you can look at the premier league and you have you know a few different teams you know i mentioned tottenham but you have man city and liverpool i play a variety of different sorts of um possession-based play in a league that is you know more stereotypically um physical than la liga let's say and same thing in the women's game. I mean, as I literally talked about before, Albertine Montoya has done this sort of roster and this sort of ta- uh, style in an American league with American players, American teams. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't buy into that. 
I will say I don't think that magically from day one they'll just suddenly be playing, you know, a beautiful, amazing style. It might be something that we see some kinks get worked out, but that's just for one going to happen um, with an expansion team in general, and then it's also going to be happening with a, a new system being put in in general. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how Montoya rolls with those punches as they potentially come. But um, yeah, I, I would not write it off from from the jump before we see anything. Um, yeah, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, um, and I think that is going to wrap it up for now. I think we maybe talked <laughs> uh, till we were blue in the face on some of those those topics, but you know, there's still a lot to cover, and we're definitely going to do that leading up to the beginning of the season. Um, Preseason is still very much in full swing for mm-hmm. for the league, so I'm sure there will be some some more news coming out in in the coming days and weeks. Yeah, and um, even without news, uh, I know that there was a lot of interest from Bay fans as well as from neutral fans about us talking about kind of just the general rollout of the team and the branding and stuff like that. So we didn't forget about that. We just uh, there's a lot to talk about and not. Not the time for it quite yet, but uh, we'll be making time in these coming weeks. Yeah. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in and up the bay. Up the bay.